Uh, Eric is a, is a new friend for me. I've heard his name a lot from people that I know. Um, he left us kind of moved to Maine from Fort Wayne soon after I got here. I, I kind of heard about this guy named Eric from a few folks. And um, so it's been so good to get to know you the last six months. And then this, this week, um, Eric and I just spent um, some time together in an afternoon um, walking around um, our neighborhood and talking together about um, what God is doing um, in our lives and in particular through NeighborLink. And so in the next month or two, we are going to be able to share some ways that God is bringing together Lord willing, the way that God is bringing together in as much and neighbor link and Broadway in some really exciting ways. Um, I'm sorry to leave. I'm not really sorry to leave that as a cliffhanger for you, but um, stay tuned for that. Um, I think you can hear in um, in Eric's heart that um, God has anointed him with the very similar spirit that he's anointed Marianne with a real heart for the poor and a voice calling all of us to care in deeper and more intentional ways. And so you've been busy this morning, but I'm going to ask if you're still willing to preach God's word to us today. There's only one thing to do. All right. Um, Well, come on over. I'm going to read the scripture for us and then pray for you. Would you stand with me? We're going to read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. There he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, Do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. God, I pray now for uh, my brother, that you would speak to him, to us. And I pray for each one of us that our ears would be open to hear the word that you have for us today. And ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. So I have to confess, the last two out of three times that I've tried to study, I've been interrupted quite radically. But I started realizing that it wasn't an interruption, but it was a pivot. See, I was studying a few weeks ago and getting in the Word, and I was excited, and then I got a phone call. My 86-year-old mom, she had a tree go down the middle of her mobile home, and it's condemned. She has nowhere to stay. So, well, ma'am, I'll be there on Monday or Tuesday. I'm in the middle of studying to look at the house. And then the Lord said, in my abonic kind of way, bruh. This is the sermon. So I got up, closed my books, packed my bag, and went over to this woman's house that was in despair with a big old sign on the front door. Yesterday I got up, you know, getting ready to dive farther into the word. John 13 and through 17 has been a heartbeat for the last two years. God has used it. Radically, it will probably be the rest of my life. So as I'm on my way to study, I get a phone call. Eric, I'm upset. Her name's Queen. She said, I got a citation in my yard, a warning that my weeds are out of control. Have I done something wrong? Thought you guys were going to take care of it. She has a 41-year-old daughter that she's been taking care of for three years with heart complications. She passed away Friday morning. When she got home from the hospital, she had a warning sign in her front yard. That's the last thing she wanted to see. So I had a choice. So I go study about the love of God, my identity in Christ and serving, or do I pivot? So I got a couple of guys from NeighborLink, and we went over and pulled weeds and mowed lawn, met her nephew, Sometimes I I so value the study of God's word that I am far from God's word. Sometimes I so value the sermon that I don't live. It's, It's important to let the text speak and let my life speak at the same time. See, a word that goes in but doesn't come out is is not the word that we have in front of us. That's social media. But the word of God that's living and powerful, more powerful than a double-edged sword, is something that comes in, reorganizes, and then comes out of me. These final words of Jesus, these last five chapters of the Upper Room Conversation, are his final words. It is his soul breathing out and into his, his disciples. 
We know that the very most important things that we are going to say are going to be said in our final days. Is that pretty correct? And you would think maybe Jesus is going to talk about all the doing that they need to do, but he doesn't. He goes, stay close to my heart of love for you. Since five chapters, stay close to my heart of love for you. Here is fruitfulness. Here is life. Here is glory. Here is one another in the body as it should be. Here is neighboring as it should be. Stay close to my love. And this is what will come out. So just three words. I'm going to add some in between. But love, identity, and servanthood. The last things he says start out with love. In verse 1 of chapter 13, knowing that it was time to go, his hour had come. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want you just to stop and think about that. Having loved his own who were from the world, he loved them to the end. Now, this is John the Apostle writing. And John talks about love more than any other writer in the New Testament. In fact, when you get to 1 John, my pleading with you would be, or my plea with you is that you would see it more as a testimony than a teaching. I actually believe that John is saying now as an older man, everything that Jesus taught us, showed us, put inside of us is true. If we abide, fruit comes out. And so he would say in 1 John 4, 16, I have come to know and believe in the love that God has for us. John, as a young man here in John, and as an older man through persecution, trial, pain, abandonment, and brokenness would say he is everything he said he is and more. So when's the last time you meditated on the love of God? The full, complete, perfect, abundant, overwhelming love of God. Not the love that everybody else talks about, the world has to offer, but the abundant love of Jesus. It was the supply chain for the disciples. It was what made them move. It was what made them die. It was what made them flourish. It was what made them love their enemies. Because they could look in the mirror and go, the way you have loved me is how I'm going to love those around me. I don't believe we have a mission failure, but we do have a love failure. It's not about you going and doing more and being more and sharing more and loving more. All these things, yes, those are all true points of Christianity. We have a love problem. We do not understand the robust love of Christ. When somebody comes to me, often suburban, with a lighter skin color, and they'll say, man, if I go and do this, love my neighbor thing, what if they take advantage of us? Well, how often do you take advantage of Jesus? And they're like, mm, I don't like you. <laughs> then they'll think of another one. Well, what if we go love them for 10 years, mow that lawn for 10 years, and they don't come to Christ? How long did Jesus pursue you? Is he patient with you? Or is he like, get it done, boy? 
No, he's patient, long-suffering, kind. What if we understood the love of God in such a way that that's the only thing that came out? In Ephesians 3, if you could turn with me there, it's one of the greatest prayers of love that is offered to us. Often it's ended with God can do exceedingly abundantly more. We can ask or fathom or imagine. We often talk about that, and usually it's with a vision for what we want to do in life. It's kind of like Philippians 4.13. We just like, God can do anything. Yes, but that's not what he's talking about. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, he's talking about who we were and who we've become by grace. Right? 2, 1 through 10. In chapter 1, he talks about the fullness of our identity being loved children of God. In chapter 3, end of chapter 2, into chapter 3, he's talking about the oneness of the new creation, the new people, the new family, those that have been separated now, walls broken down, and we are one. And then he goes in this prayer of love. My premise is that our identity and the story of salvation is dependent on our understanding his four-dimensional otherworldly love. So Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writing through the Spirit, verse 14, for this reason, uh, talking about reconciliation, the new church, the new people, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to him, to the power that works at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. It seems as if he ties this premise of he can do something crazy to God putting this otherworldly love in us. That we could grasp the four-dimensional love of Christ. That that would impact our relationships. That that would impact the body of Christ. That would impact our neighbors. That would impact the world. And that surely is what Jesus says. Because at the end of John 13, he says, man, as the fathers love me, I've loved you. As I've loved you, love one another. If you love one another, all people will know that you're my disciples. It sounds like if we have a robust understanding of the Father's love into the Son, through uh, into us, through the Spirit, that we would love in a new way. And all people would know that we're his people. Now, surely, if we took an accurate, realistic view of the last few years, we'd be like, mm, love's grown cold. You can't sit in a room with anybody that you disagree with for more than three seconds. Like, well, I don't agree with that. Well, peace, we're done. Worse, you don't agree with them online and you're done. You haven't even met them yet. Right? You hear somebody say something online and you're like, mm, I ain't, I'm done. Defriend them, unfriend them, block them. 
maim them, shame them. I don't think that that's the love of Christ. You know, up in Maine, they wanted us to be either left or right. Hard left, hard right. I was like, I'm not playing. I tap out. Like, why? Well, we want you to be in our crew. I'm like, I'm not playing. Well, I want you to be in my crew. I'm not playing. Just led right down the middle of attention with grace and truth. And I want to live there. Meaning, if, if you're left, I want to love you. If you're right, I want to love you. I want to figure out how to be like Christ is with me. Instead of seeing your political, denominational, societal, philosophical, methodological, ecclesiological, theological, let me go through all the ickles, like a popsicle. We're seeing people through all of those ideologies first. That's not how Christ sees us. He sees us through his blood and his resurrection. That's how the Father sees us. So somebody went to a house and they're like, yo, man, I'm not doing this again. Why? Well, the the 15 and 16-year-old kids were sitting on the couch. Grandma's in a wheelchair. They could have helped us. Where is that gospel? Those kids don't have parents. And grandma's just trying to do her best. And before you've met them, talked to them, learned their story, understood them, we're out. Show me the gospel that looks like that, and I will show you false religion. I said, man, were you sitting on a couch when Jesus came to to get you? Well, what do you mean? I was like, were you unable to get up? Even if you knew what you should do, could you do it? No. I was like, have more grace then. So love, I believe that Paul's prayer through the Spirit is our need today, a four-dimensional otherworldly love that is so robust that the world looks on in the body and out of the body and they go that is something else who is that who is that he would later on say in john 17 in his final words if you are one like me and the father are one check this out that the whole world will know that i was sent by the father if you're one The whole world will know that I was sent by the Father. That's the gospel. And two, that they would know the Father loves the world. I think our evangelism is cold because our love has grown cold. As we love one another and as we love our neighbors out of the robust love that we're given through Christ, the world will know. Moving on in this text, as Jesus talks about love, he moves to the story of Judas in verse 2. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, giving you a little context, he moves to verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. My premise is that love produces identity. As the Father loved the Son, the Son loved us. Jesus was so secure in his identity that he could take off his outer garments and begin to wash disciples' feet. Look at this identity real quick. Jesus had an identity that all things were were coming from the Father. Right now, presently, 
Two, that he had come from the Father and that he was going to the Father. That sounds like secure identity, right? Like, I know who I am. So if we sit in this robust love and then we stand on the identity of Christ in Ephesians 1, like who you are, the blessings of Christ, then we'll lower ourselves for anyone. Jesus didn't go like, yo, do you know who I am? Jesus didn't go, well, wait a minute. Let me change my clothes, put lesser clothes on. He didn't go, well, just in a, in a minute, on the other side of the resurrection, I'll do these kind of things when I'm like ready, ready. No, but that robust love that he got from the Father led him to a secure identity where he stood, he's like, even Judas, I'll wash your feet. My enemy who's going to turn me in, the man who's going to kill John Barsa's father, I'm going to lay myself down because I know who I am. So many people in the church don't know love and don't know identity. We can see that all over social media, and we can see that in our interactions, how quickly offended we are. So his relationship with the Father in the present, in the past, in the future, full of the love of God, led him to serve. Led him to serve. There's a family I told you about earlier. I only told part of the story. A woman, dialysis, 39, in the hospital, coughing blood. Sons and daughters sitting at home with nothing to do but video games and stay inside because unsafe on the streets. Husband played ball, was a stud and a star here in town. Went out to school, got a woman pregnant, lost his Division I scholarship, came back home. He will tell you the streets got him. So I show up, he hugs me, we cry together, and then he tells me a little bit later I got COVID. Now, I know I'm all over the place, but part of that is where I'm at. I'm in so many different places right now, I don't know which way straight. I understand COVID is real, and I understand that it's a problem. And I understand it's been a problem. Please hear me when I say this. When, when awful things happen in the world, the Christians should be the ones that flourish most during that season. We shouldn't retreat. We shouldn't hide. We shouldn't fight or quarrel. We should press in. My prayer during COVID was, let's show up. When people are locked in their houses, let's show up. But so much of the church just did a better Sunday. So he hugged me and then he goes, by the way, I got COVID. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, that's awesome. Reverse engineering at its finest. Uh, so I said, well, let me take the kids, your four kids. I met him one time before that day. Let me take your four kids. We're going to take them to the house. We're going to have fun. And he looks at me like, well, let me talk to my wife. She goes and talks to his wife because, sure, take the kids. <laughs> I was like, cool, Mandy, we're going to take some kids in. And so um, she's used to that. And, and so those four kids got in my truck and we took them to football practice. And then we got some barbecue and then we played football in the streets till 1130 at night. If I was afraid in that minute, that doesn't happen. But my, the love that he's poured in me and the identity was secure to where I, I, the cost was worth it. 
To be looked at as a king who would get on his knees and wash his disciples' feet is otherworldly. True? To be a people who have robust love and secure identity to wash the feet of those around us, you know, metaphorically speaking, is otherworldly. To wash the feet of the man who killed your dad is otherworldly. To wash the feet of the one who's going to turn you in and ultimately kill you is otherworldly. Love and identity only produce this kind of service. Verse 5, Then he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? I asked a question to myself when I read that. Am I willing to let Jesus wash me? That was my first thought. Am I even willing to let him wash me? Not be over spiritual, like, oh, get everything. No, bro, I did that. Your feet just get dirty every day. Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Secure love, secure identity, serving others out of the overflow means they may not understand why I'm serving them, why I love them, and it's okay. They may not thank me, it's okay. They may not love me, it's okay. Because my fullness is over here in him. My identity is full in him. So when I go love my neighbor and they go, I don't know why you're doing this, I don't like that you're doing this, I don't, I don't care if you do this, it's not offending me. Because most of the time I don't understand what Jesus is doing to me. He's like, you guys won't get this till down the road. Did you guys grow up in like that evangelism, you know, season of the 90s and early 2000s where like you would memorize what you're going to say like a robot? I was there. If you weren't there, I'll be the guinea pig for you to tell you about my futility. So I memorized some lines like, Ara, what would you do if you died today? Where are you going? And I'd get all ready. And then I went to the mall. And I'm ready to rip. You know, I'm going to get these guys. I'm going to sit in this, the biggest stud of a man, like stands in front of me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it, Lord. And all that came out was, are you die? (laughs) I was so nervous that I couldn't even get the word. I'm like, are you die? And he's like, (laughs) this guy's on crack. And so, so I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. By that point, he was, I'm out. Or their goal was to get someone saved. Like, Man, I'm going to get them saved today. That's my job. I would encourage you to go to Matthew 28, read 18 through 20, and just seek the Lord and see what he says. I would ask you to see what your job description is versus what is his. There is a gap between go and make disciples that I think is very intentional. My guess is the Spirit's like, yo, I'm going to save people. Then you're going to make disciples and teach them and baptize them. You just go. Then I'll save them. You're not going to put them on a belt, wear them around like a necklace. You're not going to show them off like they're a gimmick or a game or a statistic. When the Lord did that, he released me from trying to fix and save, but to simply go while he saves. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. 
For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put, the, put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? They still don't get it. It's okay. A couple of things real quick. Jesus washed the feet of his enemy. I want you to think about that when you think about relationships. I'm not talking about going to work tomorrow to, to the enemy and like, you know, ripping off their shoes and, and start shining their feet. But how are you treating your enemies? Then go to Romans 5, 8 and see that Jesus died for you and me while we were yet enemies. Are you washing the feet of your enemies? Later on, he's going to give a piece of bread to Judas that he dipped in some wine and give it to him for communion, for the upper room communion. Now, I know theologically what is being said, but here's, here's my premise. For the lost around us, the first two things we need to probably do is be washing feet and giving away, the, giving away our bodies through the blood of Jesus. Like, show them the crucifixion. Throw, show them the life of Christ through how we die daily. But later on, when Judas leaves, he doesn't give Judas the new commandment. In fact, it very intentionally says, this guy left, and then he says, like, I've got a new commandment for you. What I'm trying to say is, there's certain things for the world, and there's certain things for the church. The new commandment is only for the church. Love one another as I've loved you. All people will know that you're my people by your love for one another. But when you're out there with the world, wash their feet and die for them. Oftentimes, I think we expect the world to be the church, but we let the church be the world. Think about how often we're judging the world for where they're at politically, religiously, go through all the ease. And think about how we're letting the church slip right on through. I love you guys taking time to confess sin. I don't think we confess sin enough. We want everybody else to do it first. So we wash feet. We die daily because Christ has died on our behalf. And then moving on, after he'd done all this, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're, you're right, man, for so am, I am. If then I, the Lord, your teacher, washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Here's the life I have for you. He would say, here, out of love and identity, here's the life of service that I have for you. Now, one thing my wife and I were saying earlier when we were singing, man, it's refreshing to sing with y'all. I mean, the building is made for good singing, right? Amen? Right? You hear that, and you're like, mmm, he is here. We're really good at singing. It sounds like we're united when we sing. Man, that choir was beautiful. But this is the fruit of unity. Washing each other's feet. Loving one another as we've been loved. Laying down our lives like the one who laid our life down for us. He's like, yo, if you're my people, this is what you're going to do for each other. It grieves my heart. Uh, I left Fort Wayne. My family left Fort Wayne after years of hardship in the church of Fort Wayne. I was like, we got to go figure out how to do this thing. I'm not saying we figured it out, by the way. 
city of churches, hundreds of churches divided, new church plants out of splits from this side and that side and this side and that side and this side and that side and this. It's everywhere. And the world looks on and goes, you guys are a joke. The people I hang out with every week aren't looking for us on Sunday. But they are opening their doors to us to see what's on the other side. In a minute here, he says this. For I've given you an example, verse 15, that you should do just as I have done to you. Is that your posture in life? To do as he's done to you? To do as he's done to me? To do as he's done to us? Or are we waiting for somebody else to go first? Are you waiting for the other person to serve you first? That doesn't sound like the gospel. The gospel sounds like I go first because he came after me. I'm not waiting for you to shine my head or make my heart feel happy or pat me on the back or me to like you. Those were the qualifications. The qualifications were his death and resurrection. He's our great example, full of love, secure in identity, serving his guts out. And he says, let's go. Do what I've done. Now, I have to ask you a question. When I was 14, I had a vision in this town. I had one since I was a little kid. What would it be like if thousands of people in Fort Wayne lived this life? What would it look like if thousands of people gave up their lives because Jesus gave up his life for us? What would it look like? What would it taste like? We would only be able to point at him. We would never be able to brag. We would never gloat about our brand or our location of the church. We would simply go, he is up to something so good, we don't even get to say what it is. Like, we don't even, we're just like, bah, what is this? He just follow my example, do what I've done to you. And people will taste and see my goodness. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you already know, but aren't doing? Have you heard, but not told? Do you grasp his love? Are you secure in identity, but you're holding back service? He says, I've given you an example. As I've done to you, give it all away. I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. I just ask you, church, to weigh the words of Jesus in his final breaths where he said, this is what I care about. This is what I love. This is what I've made you for. You don't don't have much, you can live this way. You have a lot, give it away. You, You want your security, your comfort, it is here in him, not in what you have in your pockets. This is the most revolutionary sermon in the universe because not one of us, are. we are all invited into the same journey. 
No matter where you're from, where you've done, where you've been, where you're going, this is the life that we've all been invited into. And he would say in Ephesians 3, Lord, may it be so. Would you do something so spectacular with the four-dimensional, robust love of Christ that the Spirit would change our hearts and we would follow our Lord? I don't have a list of chores for you today. John 59, as I've loved you, stay home in my love. You can go do all this other stuff and miss the whole world. Stay close to his love. Wait on the Holy Spirit. He will produce fruit in due season. That will taste like Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And when people taste of your life in the body and out of the body, they will go, that is Jesus. And that is the example we follow. Thanks for bearing with me. Thanks for being hungry and thirsty for the beauty of Jesus. I'd implore you, before the pastors come up or the leaders lead us in a communion, don't take that if you don't want that life. Don't take that if you're not going to love your enemy. Don't take that if you're not going to be one with your brother or sister. This is not a joke, and we have made him a joke. Just being honest, it makes me want to cuss. Just being, this is like my flesh right now, not tempered by the Spirit, makes me want to cuss because I've done this a billion times. A billion times. Didn't think a thing of it. But when I take the oneness of the body and the blood of Jesus, I'm saying I'm doing that with all of you all. And I'm doing that to give away to the world. So if you don't want that life, don't take this. And if you're not living that life, repent, then take this. This is the center of the city. It's a lighthouse for the whole city to see. What if? What if? What if? What if? What if we believe the very words of our Savior? Father God, you are beyond good sending your Son and giving us your Holy Spirit for rehearsing the things of Jesus, for putting memories in our heads and our hearts that take us back to our first love, for telling us that your kindness leads us to repentance, not a stiff rebuke, but your strong, abundant love. God, whether somebody's forgotten your love, they think they're too far away, they've done too much, would you draw them close to your four-dimensional love, that love that is otherworldly, that forgives and keeps forgiving and keeps calling and keeps holding, where there's no condemnation, there's nothing that can separate us. If somebody in here doesn't understand their identity, though I didn't teach you about it, would you strengthen their identity in you? Today, where they stand, where they were in their past and where they're going in the future, would they understand your righteousness, your holiness, and your glory? Would there be a, a full faith that, Jesus, you're enough on their behalf? Would they believe that you are their sanctification, you are their holiness, that you're making them more like you? Would they believe that they're going to be with you today and forevermore? And God, would our love and identity run through the streets? 
Will we lay our lives down for one another? Will we wash each other's feet, whether people get it or not, whether they're thankful or not, whether they like us or not? Would you have eyes to see and hearts that are soft and ears that hear what your spirit says to your church today? Lord, in Fort Wayne, I I believe, Lord, that there has not been a church in Fort Wayne in a long time that has just asked what you want. What do you want? Not somebody else's model or book. What do you want? Would you rain down in this place in our hearts? Would you get a lot of glory? Would fruit overflow? And will we love you and each other in ways that the neighbors look on and say, oh, the Father loves me. I ask that in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen.